Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. This week, we hear from Jenny Baker, who talks about spelling development, assessment and intervention. Let's listen now. Hi, this is Annika Flynn from the Vic Branch CPD Committee and I have the pleasure of chatting with Jenny Baker who we have just attended uh, Jenny's workshop called How Words Work which was absolutely phenomenal um, and an incredibly enjoyable day. Um, So now we've got the privilege of chatting to Jenny for 10 minutes about some of her um, amazing insights into this area of spelling and literacy. So Jenny, could you maybe tell us what your primary take home messages were for the participants at the training today? Oh, thanks, Annika. So there's probably uh, many messages that I delivered today, but it was about looking at the um, the transition from phonological processing into orthographic processing so that we can ensure that children move from sounding out words to having visual representations of those words in their orthographic memory. And today we looked at the neuronal explanation for that process and we looked at how words can move from the uh, language areas of the brain into the more visual areas of the brain into the occipital lobe and particularly into that visual word form area which is a, a holding place for orthographic Uh, vocabulary and memory. So that was one of the take-home messages is that we need to plan very meticulously for children to be able to go from phonology to orthography. Secondly, we looked very closely at the role of oral phonemic manipulation, which is some of the work of David Kilpatrick and looked at the role of that in moving children along that continuum. And what we've learned today is that if children don't have that phonemic kind of muscle behind them, they can't attack words with the same proficiency as those children who have really good phonic manipulation ability. And one of the words that I used today was a low frequency word, such a word like stow. And if a child is asked to spell it or asked to read it, one of the things they'll have to do is use an analogous model where they think about a word like snow or slow. And then they've got to be able to pull that apart, manipulate the second phoneme, which is a ul in slow, insert the t, and then reformulate that word using a synthesis and get the word stow. And we know that children use their phonological mapping to read even high frequency words. And so when they've got a low frequency word, they can rely on those uh, high frequency word behaviors that they've learned to code and encode new words. I am walking away today, Jenny, with just a wealth of new knowledge in my head. You are quite inspiring with the knowledge that you know. It's also amazing at 
how well you've been able to keep up on top of all this new research coming out, which I guess us on the ground speeches don't always have the capacity to do. Sure. And you commented today that you went to the recent Dyslexia Spelled Foundation mm -hmm. conference. Just mm -hmm. wondering what new research you found most interesting that came out of that conference. Um, the I guess the most interesting research came from Professor Stanislas Dehan, who is a French uh, neuropsychologist, and he's got really powerful MRI equipment, and he can look and see what's happening inside the brain of a child when they are reading or spelling. And one of the amazing things that he's been able to identify is this thing called voxels, which are like, I guess, kind of cups of information that are stored in the occipital region of the brain. And in that region, sort of that um, fusiform gyrus in that section, you have voxels that take up faces or they take up places or they take up tools or they take up body parts, but they also can take up words. And what we know about the brain is that reading changes the brain. Our brains are never meant, they don't have a place for reading to occur. We have to borrow places where other more organic systems actually reside and are activated. So these voxels inside the occipital lobe in the in the word uh, visual word form area can get filled up with words. So as the child becomes more literate, the voxels that might that might just be sitting there waiting to get filled up with something like a face or a place can actually get filled up by words, which then means that other areas like the face recognition actually migrate to the right hemisphere in the very similar position, but in the right hemisphere. So what that's telling us is a couple of things, that we, our brains change when we become literate, that we actually take on the neuronal recycling, so areas that were used for one thing then become used for another. But I guess importantly, it tells us that that plasticity can only exist for a while because if those voxels are getting filled up with faces and places, they're not, there's no room left for words. And Professor Dehan alluded to the fact that by puberty, that ability to fill up voxels with words is starting to wane. And that's also why adults find it so hard to learn to read if they've been illiterate all their lives is that their voxels have already been filled up and there's no place, there's no cup to pour the new learning into. So that was one really um, important factor. I guess in the, in the other side of things like numeracy, there was um, Professor Daniel Ansaris who talked about is there a, a phonological prerequisite to that we have in reading in mathematics. And yes, there is. He found some really interesting data on children's early ability to estimate numbers of dots in configurations was actually a prerequisite to their ability to identify ordinal and cardinal numbers. So that was really interesting. Some of the other research that came out from Kathy Rastel from um, the University of London 
was about morphology and how knowing more themes can reduce the number of words that we learn from 71,000 to just over 11,000 because of that 71,000, a lot of those words are multi-morphemic. And if we can teach students about morphemes and base words, we can reduce the numbers, the number of units of, of learning that they actually have to acquire. So it's always about being analytical and teaching the building blocks of any system so that you don't have to learn every single word as if it was a new word, that there's always letters that form words and more themes that form words. What an amazing conference. It, was it sounds absolutely. incredible. <laughs> you have to wait another two years. It's every two, two years. Right. Always in Western Australia and run by our magnificent um, Dyslexia Spelled out, uh, Association by Mandy Nathan and the crew out there. Sounds amazing. Mm. It is. Just to finish off, just wondering in this world of social media where we mm. can follow mm -hmm. all so or find out any research really that we mm -hmm. want to, mm -hmm. who would you suggest in the area of literacy and spelling would be uh, some really well uh, worthwhile people to okay. follow? Okay, so I think um, as I talked about today, getting on the DDoL network, um, the listserv DDOLL, Developmental Disorders of Language and Literacy, that is managed by Professor Max Colthart. Um, and in there you'll get a whole range of people contributing their ideas or their responses to new research or even kind of if there's dodgy programs out there, everybody will have a crack at them and, and give, the, give their opinion about them. So in terms of specific people to follow, um, Louisa Motes is really influential, Linnea Airy, David Kilpatrick, Ken Arpel, John Walker from Sounds Right, um, and the whole Macquarie crew, Anne Castles, Jennifer uh, Buckingham, um, not that she's from Macquarie, but all of, all of that crew are really, really influential and post on Twitter and post in DDoL all the time. And even if you've just got a, you know, like on DDoL, you can put out a question, any question, and people will sincerely and earnestly respond to you. And people like Kerry Hempenstall will give you lists of references that will assist you in making decisions about your, your caseload or a particular client. So never be shy about asking for advice on a program um, or a methodology or some research. It's that, you know, there's people just champing at the bit to give you their, um, you know, their wisdom. Thank you so, so much. You are an absolute speech pathology treasure. And anyone listening to this podcast, I would highly recommend you coming along to one of Jenny's workshop. It really has Thank been you, inspirational. Anna. We've had a lot of people with a vast array of experience today and everyone has walked out with just a whole new realm of knowledge so we oh, cannot thank marvelous. you enough and mission uh, accomplished mission accomplished <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues thank you for listening and bye for now